Steve, happy Monday. How's it going, man? Uh, <laughs> really good, man. Really good. Back in town. Got back last Wednesday from the sheep hunt and uh, just caught up with work Thursday, Friday. Spent all weekend hanging out with my kids. Had a blast. And here we are Monday morning, kind of back at it. Yeah. Feels good to be back. Glad to have you back. Not only to chat about this hunt, but just uh, to help. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Good news is it's like August 31st today. So we're, yeah. September is like a third of what we would do pack sales wise, accessory sales in August. So it's a nice, uh, it's like a nice breather. It's a cutting season. And okay, we made it. We made it through, man. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, yeah, so in this Monday Minutes, we just wanted to chat about the hunt a bit. Uh, you know, for guys who didn't hear prior, you kind of took off on a essentially a last-minute sheep hunt, which you don't hear about all the time, but uh, joined our buddy Tyler Boshma up there. Tyler had won this hunt uh, last February at the Hunt Expo. Uh, between cancellations of COVID and some other things, you got to kind of join last minute. And we're going to get Tyler on here to kind of talk more about like the daily, the stories, the hunt itself, and and get all that um, on the podcast with Tyler. He's actually still up in Alaska. I uh, was able yeah. to stay up there and chase caribou with his wife and some cool stuff like that. So there's more to come on what's called the story of the hunt. But um, just want to chat with you, Steve, and more, you know, lessons learned, tactical stuff, gear and all that. You know, we had talked prior uh, before this hunt about you doing a what's in my pack video and I was going to do my best to hold your feet to the fire and make that happen. <laughs> and <laughs> I mentioned previously, like, and I'm not saying this to be uh salesy, but like the reason that that didn't happen is because we were both just too busy helping customers. So, uh, you know, it's one of yeah. those things where the podcast and content and stuff like that comes second to, uh, making sure that EXO customers are taken care of. And we were just legit swamped, uh, helping folks. And so things like the pack video didn't happen. Yeah. I was legit like the night before finishing up my stuff at 1am for getting up at the next morning to fly out early. You know, just, it was, uh, things got a little busy there the last couple of weeks of August. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, man, sheep hunt was absolutely epic awesome adventure uh I, I go back and do it in a heartbeat um i really i did not get to kill a sheep um tyler did we got tyler's on day one and then basically hunted our balls off the rest of the trip and never found another legal ram they had roughly um they had a really bad winter and, and kind of rumor like no one knows exactly how bad the die-off was but they're kind of i've heard anywhere from 50 to 80 percent Jeez. Um, so sheep were, were few and far between, um, where, where Tyler killed his sheep was a nice little pocket that we got into that after we kind of hiked and explored the rest of the country kind of all made sense because it was just right in the middle of other airstrips, uh, where, where other outfitters were hunting out of. And it was this nice little pocket that, that really there was no easy access to, um, and so it made sense kind of at the end of the trip, like, yeah, that area was good for a reason because uh, mm-hmm. all the sheep got pressured and pushed into that spot. So, um, but yeah, we, we hunted hard and, uh, and just never found another legal ram, but it was still like, I have no, I'm not like, yes, I wanted to kill a sheep, uh, especially after like we killed Tyler's, you know, and you're standing there holding the sheep horns and it's like, man, these things are freaking cool. Um, but, uh, I'm not like bummed about the trip in any way i mean it was just a an awesome experience learned a lot 
had a blast. Uh, Dwayne, who was who was the outfitter and it ended up being our guide, was it was legit. Like after you know after the first day getting to know him, it was like hunting with a really good friend. And it wasn't in, I would say it wasn't. Uh, to me, I was worried about doing a guided hunt where like the guides, like I'm leading, you follow me, you do exactly what I say. It was very much a just hunting with two other buddies, right? Like we're constantly like looking at the maps, where should we go? Talking strategy, talking how we're going to move through the country. When we did see something, it was, you know, a, a typical debate on like, okay, what's the best strategy to stalk? And, you know, someone would throw an idea out and the other person like, no, that's not going to work because of this. Like, ah, you're right. Um, so it was awesome. It was, it was definitely just like hunting with a buddy and not, uh, it didn't feel like guided, uh, in any sense that, uh, there was this, this person there just, you know, basically holding your hand the whole way and doing everything but squeezing the trigger. So, yeah. Like on that point, Steve, it just came to my mind at the same time, obviously he's been in that country more than you guys have, not only in that country specifically, but just up there and obviously doing much more sheep hunts, things like that. Are there... Does anything just come to mind immediately? And I say, what did you learn from doing? You know, I, I think sheep hunting was, um, you definitely got to use your glass and you got to use your legs. Um, they are, it, you know, and I, I can't speak yet. I uh, hope I get to go back, um, to killing a monster ram and what, um, how they behave. Cause if I can compare that to mule deer, um, you know, a younger buck that that's, you know, like a nice 160, 170 buck, um, you through experience, I know you can get away with more, right. Uh, more movement, a little bit of sense, possibly like if they're, you know, in the back of a basin and you roll up in there and the wind's blowing that way, but you're, you know, a thousand yards away where maybe a big buck just gets that little tiny whiff of scent and is gone. So we never did see any, obviously we just saw Tyler's Ram was the only legal Ram we saw, but, um, you can get away from what I saw, you can get away with a lot with sheep. They're not super, super sketchy. Um, you know, more, most of the rams that we saw, uh, you know, we'd obviously be very sneaky, get in there. Um, there's multiple times where we had, um, you know, rams that we, you know, you just knew were they had to be eight years old to, to be legal to shoot. Uh, one of the qualifications anyways, or one of the requirements. And, um, you get in there and it's like, you just, we'd spend two hours within 200 yards of these things. And then finally decide, okay, that one's not legal. Um, and, uh, get up and walk away and, and be completely visible. And they would just jump up, run up the hill 50 yards and just sit there and look at you for 20 minutes. I mean, they were not like, you know, you could tell that, um, they're not super used to humans and that they just kind of look at you. wonder what you're doing. They're like, stare at you. Some of them would like go back to feeding while you're just in the wide open. So as far as like hunting them, the, the animal kind of weariness factor, um, they're not that hard to hunt. So a lot of it, is just, but a lot of it's just finding a legal ram and then you got to be willing to put in the effort to, to get to them. Cause it's not easy. I've, um, I already talked to a couple people about like, oh, how physical was it? Is everything people build sheep hunting up to be? And I was kind of like, well, yes and no. Um, we hunted hard. I, you know, I, uh, with Dwayne, he's, he's like, that's hands down the hardest he's ever hunted with clients. Um, he said some clients, like what we did in a day was what they would do an entire week. Um, like we freaking booked it and covered country, especially the last three days when, when, um, we kind of went into new country and, uh, really once, uh, one of the laws up there is once sheep season starts, the outfitters, 
kind of have to fly direct lines. They can't just fly around and look for sheep, land, uh, and then, you know, go hike into the country the next day, kill the sheep. That that becomes illegal. Although, unfortunately, we witnessed people still doing it. Um, But uh, you definitely, um, yeah, so the last three days there was like, okay, he saw sheep there three weeks ago. Um, let's hope they're still there. Let's just start hiking and covering that country. And and we put on some miles. We did like a, a 21 mile day backed up by an 18 mile day. And that's like, you know, obviously a hundred percent off trail, just rock, shale, cliffs. Uh, it was, it's pretty gnarly country. So we put in the work, um, but that it's, it's kind of required of that sheep hunting. So Um, I also learned there's really, really easy sheep to kill. Uh, (laughs) They've got some of the outfitters, they've got landing strips that literally, you you know, you can land the plane and the next day climb 1500 feet right out of camp and shoot a sheep. Um, you know, they've got some stuff up there that's, that's, you know, not that bad. There was even, um, one area where guys had somehow gotten like a, uh, uh, Polaris Ranger back into that crap. And somehow being state land, it's legal to drive up and down the rivers, um, which was crazy. You're just like in this room, feel like you're in this remote Alaska, pristine wilderness. And you're just like on top of Polaris tracks. <laughs> like what in the world's going on yeah. here? But um, it's it shocking to me that it's legal to do that up there. But those guys like they fly into this lodge, ride, ride a Polaris for 10 miles, see some sheep up on the hill, jump out, go climb up there and go shoot it. So. Um, not, not all sheep are hard earned. I definitely learned that. Mm. I'm, the, the story is probably told as, as, as it was though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to admit that. Like, yeah, I'm right. on a sheep on. Yeah. We drove out in the ranger and yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, um, yeah, it was, it was physical as hard. I've had harder elk hunts, um, harder mule deer hunts. Um, but it, it by no means was it, it wasn't an easy hunt. Um, we, we freaking hiked hard and hunted hard for sure. So, mm. um, and a, a lot of it, I think there's a, uh, almost a mental intimidation factor because, because the hills are just completely bare. Uh, so in some cases, the first 500, 750 feet is alders and just brush and nasty. Um, but for the most part, we kind of like got out of that country and, and we were in the river bottoms that got brush, you know, 50 yards each side of it, but you climb through that and then you can literally just see the top of the mountain, 3,500 feet above you. Uh, and there's not a single tree or bush the entire way up there. And so it just looks expansive and massive and like, oh my Lord, it's going to take all day to climb up there. And reality it's, you know, it's a two mile hike and 3,500 feet up there. It's, it's physical and hard, but it's besides like working around cliffs and stuff like that it's fairly easy walking um just walking on top of rocks so seeing the photos i would uh surprised to hear you say it's fairly easy walking yeah (laughs) it's intimidating looking country for sure yeah to me it was um uh i guess we were in the alaska range and i guess uh, what i learned going up there is is the brooks the the ranges are kind of all the guys kind of classify them by difficulty and like Brooks is like fairly easy, mild hunting. Then it goes Alaska range, which gets, starts getting definitely bigger mountains, cliffier, more shale slides, stuff like that. And then you go to Chugach and then you go to the, the Wrangles are the nastiest. So I kind of compare that to like, I think the Alaska range was very similar to the white clouds, um, here in Idaho, like big mountains, definitely like bowls you can hike up into that you can't get out of, but uh, at the same time, you know, those days we did those big miles, we'd hike up into some bowls and almost all of them would have 
you know, a, a kind of a low-ish saddle that you mm-hmm. climb up the shale slide. And um, fortunately, there was lots of snow still in, in some some of those spots. And basically, you just kick your toe into the snow, jam the trekking pole in, and just climb your way out of that. Um, and uh, so for the most part, it's like we never got completely cliffed out. Um, you know, you, you, could, you could move through the country. So, yeah. But it was definitely something I was – I don't want to say nervous about going into, you know, is um, like just getting in scenarios that you don't want to be in where you're like kind of stuck between, you know, you're, you're going down something or you're climbing up something, whatever. And you get into a cliffy spot where it's like, ah, oh, man, I, like this sucks. You know, you got your butt puckered. And if you make one mistake, you're going to fall down, you know, 500 feet or something like that. So, um, yeah. yeah. So from a super high level, as I understood from talking with you, you know, Dwayne's the guide, the outfitter, the pilot, everything all in one. So you guys essentially flew into the airstrip in a Super Cub, land, and then you're just—it's not like you're being dropped off and the plane flies away. He's yeah, no, we there with landed, the plane, right? Yeah, I had to anchor the plane down because it would blow away in the wind, and then wrap the plane with a bear fence so black bears and grizzlies weren't getting into it and messing with the plane. And then you leave the plane there, hoping it's uh, in one piece when you get back. So <laughs> that part of it was really, really cool, you know, being being able to hunt with the pilot um was a blast man it was my yeah. first i've never ridden in a, in a cub before all my other trips you know you're in a, a 190 or 206 or a beaver and um and uh, flying in a cub was fun man it was Dwayne was a heck of a pilot um you could tell just yeah, very skilled at it and uh yeah that was fun it's like a, a freaking go-kart with with wings man <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it was a blast to, to to fly in and out of so um pretty crazy what those things can do did you essentially have a base camp then near the plane? Because I know you guys went out for like, what, three, four, five days and yeah, then came the back. Yeah, and... he had like a main base camp and then other base camps out there that his guides were using, right? That kind of the main base camp held the, all the extra food and extra gear and stuff like that. You kind of fly into resupply and then and then fly back out of. We ended up hunting out of his main base camp. We, we flew into there. Um, and then, yeah. And then just started hiking again. I want to, it's like, I want to avoid getting into too much story type details, but I'm like chomping at the bit. Um, but we'll save some stuff for Tyler. So just to like get more into the practical, again, a lot of the gear questions that guys had and wanted to see before the trip. Um, you know, I was surprised was we just started chatting here about gear. One of the first things you mentioned, um, was trekking poles and I'm not surprised to hear that they were important. Uh, we've talked about it for lower 48 and seeing the country up there, I could see how trekking poles were critical, but like, why did, why was that first to mind for you or one of the things that was first to mind? Yeah. I mean, literally never took an, like never had my trekking poles strapped to the pack the entire trip. They're just in your hands. Um, you, you just, you know, it is gnarly enough the, the, to get from base camp to, uh, spike camp or whatever, uh, you want to call it, it was 15 miles and you cross the river 1000 times. You're basically <laughs> following a, a river that's 30 feet wide. We did that for about eight miles and then hooked a right at seven miles of a Creek that was 10 feet wide. Um, and you just cross and cross and cross and cross and cross. Uh, and so you just, you're just wet and you know, you just need the trekking poles to stabilize. And then when you're up on the mountain, um, yeah, you're on, you're on rock all the time. And, um, sometimes it was nice little one inch, uh, kind of fine rock that you just walk on. It's like walking on chunky sand, you know, uh, and other times they're 
you know, foot size boulders, uh, basketball size boulders that, that you just need the trekking poles to stabilize you. So they were important. The, the one reason I had put trekking poles down on the list was, um, I regret cause I never, ever use them here in Idaho was not having, um, the, the cups on the end of the poles. Um, the, they were situationally, I really, really, really wanted them. Other times they'd be super annoying. So with, with the S and S ones, we've got that they just screw on and off. And I really wish I'd had those. We had, it's kind of a long story, but, um, the Dwayne had had his previous clients had killed a caribou, uh, and one of the clients got sick and couldn't get it. Um, so we went in just basically helping him out and knowing that, Hey, if you know, we do this, we're also going to be able to get to hunt sooner. We went and helped pack out a caribou, um, on our first day in there. Um, and, uh, it was, a uh, it was only 3.75 miles, I think back in there, but it ended up being an 11 hour ordeal of, um, there's, you know, some of that country in Alaska, you just, if you're doing great, you're moving at three quarters of a mile an hour. And that's like steady, consistent hiking, you know, mm-hmm. um, it just, you know, I had to bust through alders and climbing this and side hill and this shale crap. And, um, that, that pack out was pretty rough, but the, the ground there was just soft. And so you got the trekking pole that cup on the end and you just stick it into the ground and like every third or fourth one would go down two feet and then your trekking pole stuck in the ground and you're trying to dig it out and, um, but at the same time, we basically used our trekking poles, like, like ice axes getting out of some of those shoots. So you wouldn't want the cup on there. It was literally intentionally taking the trekking pole and jabbing it down into the snow about 18 inches. So it just bite really good and you kind of hang onto it and pull yourself up to the next one. So, mm-hmm. um, having that versatility of being able to take those on, on and off would, would be super, super handy. So, and yeah, you just warm all the time. One other thing that it was completely, I remember it on, well, you remember on Kodiak, um, uh, Rafe talking about having like a good leather glove for like hiking through that stuff just because yeah. of all the brush. And like, sometimes you just, you got to grab on, like you're dropping down something and it's steep and, and slick enough that you like, you're holding on to the vegetation above your head. Um, and, uh, that definitely, I ended up, um, cryptic, uh, in their altitude line has a leather glove and, um, I had, uh, got a rain jacket from them prior. And then, um, he asked if I want anything else. I was like, oh, I'll take some of those gloves and check them out. And just knowing from Kodiak, they're like, man, these could be handy. And they were absolutely essential. Um, something that's never on my gear list here in Idaho, but just having a good leather glove, um, you know, thin and light, not too warm. Cause it was, you know, the weather was pretty nice up there. Um, but, uh, yeah, grabbing on to, to the alders and stuff when you're side hill and dropping down through it, pulling yourself up. Uh, and at the same time, um, we did this awesome stock on, ended up being a sub legal Ram. It was really, really close, but we had to get, you know, we had to go from a thousand yards, drop down this, uh, shoot to get close uh, to get, we got within 200 to get like really get a good look at him. Cause so we knew he was right on that edge. Um, and man, basically like sat on, we, you know, you kind of just sat down, uh, with your, your heels and your butt on the ground and then put, I had my right hand up on the hill basically as like a, you know, just grabbing into the rocks and sliding down. And uh, like, you wouldn't have been able to do that without a, a good glove on. Cause your hands would have just been shredded that some of those rocks, I might have multiple cuts on my hand from when I wasn't wearing the gloves and you just go to grab on something and they're legit sharp. They just cut you in a second. So, hmm. um, leather, leather gloves with the trekking poles. Those are two, two things I would absolutely have on, on the next trip. Yeah. 
That's fun to hear about that stuff. I mean, it, it makes a ton of sense, but it's all those things that are different, like you said, than what we call it yeah. normally, pack or yeah, need. I'd, I'd say 95% of what I have is the exact same gear I'd have on a mid to late October Idaho rifle hunt. Um, you know, you're expecting cold temps, you're expecting moisture, rain, snow, uh, and it's just those few little things, um, trekking pole cups, uh, leather gloves, um, you know, I think that's kind of it, man. It's not, not a whole lot there. One other one that was, I guess that would be somewhat unique is, is a really good fire starter and plenty of it. Um, I pack around, uh, Vaseline coated cotton balls and usually like every three or four years I make up a batch of 20 of them and just never have to use them. Right. Like they're kind of in my first aid kit as an emergency situation. I went through the whole, my whole bag of them on this trip. Cause it's just, it's not like you got dry pine needles and, and things like that. The wood is soft and rotted and uh, crappy and there's just nothing dry up there that, that starts well. So having a really good fire starter and plenty of it is definitely something that uh, I'm glad I had some and I wish I had a lot more because, you know, we ended up using like the jet boil to, to start some fires, melted the crap out of Tyler's uh, jet boil, all the plastic on it mm-hmm. uh, on our second to last night out there trying to get fire started in the rain. So. That'd be another one. Yeah. Yeah. So hit on, you mentioned rain and moisture. I know before the trip, you looked at a bunch of different rain gears, both some you had experience with and some that you just ordered to kind of check out. But um, I guess not only hit on what rain gear you used, but I know we talked a little bit before about even like essentially how you used it and then how um, they use it up there. The guys who are typically used to hunting a lot more. Yeah. One thing that... um... So Dwayne hunting with Dwayne, like you could tell he'd probably been in Alaska a long time because the second it started raining, he just dropped his pack, put his rain gear on. Um, and I, and I, you know, I just, I'm guessing that comes from experience of like, even though it doesn't look terrible up there, uh, sometimes a light rain can turn into a really heavy rain fast and you get soaking wet. Um, cause there's multiple times when it was just like, just sprinkling a little bit and I'm looking at the clouds going, ah, it doesn't look too bad. Um, and Dwayne was like, I'm putting on, putting on my rain gear, keeping dry. Um, and then, you know, I chanced it a couple times like, ah, I don't think it's going to do this. And, and I got lucky, but I could certainly see scenarios when, when that doesn't happen. And all of a sudden you're wet t- top to bottom. So, um, yeah, I think having good rain gear is essential. I basically had a super light set and a super heavy set that I packed up there. Um, and, uh, I had the cryptic, uh, rain gear and pants and their altitude stuff. And it's, uh, incredible stuff used it on Kodiak last year. I was really impressed with it, but my, my hangup was it's, it's heavy. I mean, it's, I can't remember, uh, three plus pounds for the pant jacket. You know, it's like, uh, it's a lot of weight there. Um, and there's a, that down jacket that I have that I reviewed that I really like from stellar equipment. Um, I think it's Switzerland company or something like that. They, I'd gotten an email about a new ultralight stuff they came out with. And I ordered that just to check out, um, but I never really like put it through the test. I think it's, it definitely worked great in light rain. Um, the first part of the trip, you know, it was just forecasting like 10 to 20% chance. It was like, great. I'll just throw the lightweight stuff in and save the weight. And then when we had packed Tyler's sheep out and we're going back in, it was calling for like 50, 60% every single day. It's like, ah, crap. I better throw the, better throw the cryptic stuff in there and have that just in case. Um, ended up never really raining that bad on us. We'd have it. We'd had a couple, two, three hour deals where it was raining hard, but it wasn't like that all day stuff where, where that really 
that quality rain gear pays off. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think you, you don't want to mess with rain gear in Alaska. You know, it's not like Idaho or, or, you know, anywhere in the lower 48 where it's like, you, yeah, if you, you can chance it and you're five miles back there and you get soaking wet. You can just walk out. Like you're, you're there and you're stuck there. Right. Uh, so uh, unfortunately, fortunately for us, we had a, you know, the pilot was with us and the plane was there more, you know, that's rarely the case of mm-hmm. you're back, you're staying there. And if you, you know, but at the same time we were, we were always a two day hike from the plane once like, you know, we it, were 15 miles, but you just not really going to do that in a day. Um, just that the, how, how, what it takes to get through that stuff. So, um, so you are back there and you, you need to make sure you're staying dry and taking care of yourself. So yeah, be because of the remoteness, obviously, and the exposure and the potential for more precipitation weather. Um, I think it makes a lot more sense in Alaska to kind of question some of the stuff that again, we use as default from gear choices, um, down here. And one of those could be just using down, whether that's for clothing or sleep system. Um, do you question that more for going up there? Um, did um, you feel comfortable? Cause I know you had down yeah, with you. I think it just along those lines of like Dwayne putting rain gear on the second starts to, to rain. Um, I think if you, you can absolutely use down synthetic is the safe solution. It's just going to be heavier. Um, but you just need to be proactive about taking care of it. Um, so we, um, you know, a have everything in a dry bag. My, <laughs> I had, uh, Tyler had asked me to bring up a dry bag for him for his 4,800. Um, and I somehow threw his bag in and did not throw mine in. So I didn't have a dry <laughs> bag up there. <laughs> uh, I got lucky in the, um, Dwayne had an extra, um, just see to summit dry bag that was big enough. I could get my sleeping bag and, and extra clothes in and stuff like that. So that's kind of what I had to end up using. Um, wasn't as nice of a system, but definitely got the job done. So, um, but yeah, you just need to be proactive about it and, and, um, making sure that that stuff is just taken care of right away. I would, I would not, I would not use down and just throw it in the pack. Um, like I would do at home here. Right. Um, just because of the Creek crossings. I mean, any one of those you could, you could fall in and then just be soaking wet in a heartbeat. So you, you need to have that kind of fail safe solution. And that's so why I, I love our dry bag system for that. Cause you can, no matter what happens, what's in that dry bag stays dry, you know, and you've got that option to put on if you fall in or get wet, whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, just, just be more proactive about it. And we, um, we ended up using for a shelter, we took our bivy sacks and then just a Hilleberg and hand shell. So we didn't take the inner, we just had the, the poles and, and the fly. Uh, and it was a great system cause there was, um, we would throw in, um, we'd leave the shell up at spike camp, but throw in our pad, bivy sack and, um, and sleeping bag in the packs. Uh, so that way if we're, we're out from camp and we get on some sheep or, or, you know, we see sheep right at dark and decide to sleep out there. Um, you had that option with you, a super light setup, um, to stay out there and, and, uh, stay on the sheep. So, um, nice. and there's one night where we were the first night going in, uh, night before we'd killed Tyler's Ram, um, you know, we just were hiking until dark and we found this nice tree to get underneath and just threw the baby sacks out. And there, was, there wasn't room to pitch the tent uh, anyway. So it was nice just to have that baby sack option. But the downside of the baby sack is condensation on the bags um, in the morning. Um, but, you know, I was just conscientious of the next day because uh, you, your bag would be kind of damp throwing it in the stuff sack in the morning. Um, the next day when you're sitting there glassing, you, you know, you're going to be there for 45 minutes to an hour and 
it's not raining. I just, I threw it out, threw it out of the bag. Just, uh, the wind was always blowing. So you had to, I would literally strap it to one of the straps on the backpack so it couldn't blow away, but I just let it sit out there, dry back out. Once it got dry, put it back in the pack. And so just kind of managed it that way. If you, if you threw it in wet in the morning and then left it in there wet all day long, you know, uh, you could do that for a day or two, but eventually I think things would start getting kind of waterlogged and, um, you, you need to get it dry somehow. So, yeah. And that's where you're fortunate to have the weather where you had the opportunity yeah. to get it out and let it dry too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would get, um, well, if it was just raining nonstop all day, every day, you just leave, I think it would dry out if you just left it in the tent, uh, you know, out, even though it's wet outside, I think there'd right. be enough like sunlight on the tent that it'd kind of warm it up. And, um, you know, even through the clouds, it'd probably be fine. You mentioned crossing creeks and rivers, you know, a thousand times, obviously when we yeah. guys have probably heard like it, say our caribou trip when, we had occasional crossings and we'd talk about wearing like hip boots or waders or something like that. Those were, you know, for the caribou hunt, much less frequent. So with all of these crossings, uh, you said a thousand times hiking up there. What, what, how are you handling that? Croc life, man. (laughs) (laughs) Tyler was legit. Like, um, you know, I brought my crocs up knowing, uh, knowing, knowing that, uh, we're going to, you know, chances across creeks you know i i couldn't imagine i mean mean, we basically hiked up a creek for 15 miles like just whether you were knee deep in it or you'd cross you'd walk the bank for 50 yards you'd cross again you'd walk the bank for 20 yards you'd cross again i mean you're just constantly zigzagging zigzagging um i had no idea it'd be like that i thought it'd be the occasional you know one or two here but the you know the crocs were going to double as a camp shoe um and then water crossing and stuff like that we ended up um, and then we were in Anchorage, uh, we got in there that Saturday and Tyler like was literally like making fun of croc people. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I've, I've always thought it was silly just to, to pack them on a trip in Idaho as just a camp shoe, you know, it just doesn't like, that's like, yeah, it's just silly. That's extra weight that you don't need. Um, but for that, they were absolutely amazing. So Tyler had bought some, uh, Cabela's there in Anchorage and I, None of us could imagine the trip without them. We ended up hiking. We packed Tyler's sheep out at 15 miles. 100% every step of the way was in Crocs. Um, it was all <laughs> river bottom. So that first seven miles from camp to the main river, um, I'll put some pictures up. But we were we just walked down the creek, man, like knee deep in the creek for seven miles. Um, it was the hands down. It was either that or you put boots on and you walk through the alders on the, on the sides of the Creek. And it was a really narrow, um, you know, it's probably varied from 20 yards to 40 yards across, but just cliffs on both sides all the way down that. So it's like cliff alder all the way to the Creek. And then the Creek was kind of like your, your highway down the thing, you know, and it, that was the, the easiest solution. So our original plan was like, all right, we'll just wear Crocs to the main river. Um, uh, and then, and then we'll hike that last eight miles out, uh, put the boots back on and gator up and just run back and forth. And then you kn- we knew, um, by, by the time we got closer down to camp, the last three miles, the river gets pretty big and we have to put Crocs back on. But we got down to the, the, that first seven miles and everybody was like, dude, I'm keeping my Crocs on. Like we're loving this. Uh, it, it was, you know, you, you were faster, you're just more efficient cause you weren't you know, constantly trying to find a place to cross that wasn't deep. You just, it just didn't matter. You just jumped in the river and crossed and, uh, it was cold. I mean, you're legit glacier water right there. That, that Creek was being fed out of the glacier and your feet were numb, but you could, you could do about 50 yards of it 
get out for, you know, 30 seconds, just get a little bit of feeling back in your feet and then, and then you'd be back in there crossing again. So, um, but they were freaking awesome, man. Like we, everyone loved every second of it. And it was also nice just to get your boots and shoot like your boots off. You know, you've been hiking up and down the mountains with those all day long, every day. And, um, just walking in that nice cold water in your Crocs felt kind of good. So, um, yeah, the we were pack out we though. the entire pack out. Man. Yeah. It's hard to believe, but, uh, you definitely need the ones with the heel strap on them. Like the, the real, real ones don't have the heel strap. I can't imagine you can do that, but, yeah. uh, yeah, we started, we just started joking around and we were calling Croc life, hashtag Croc life. And also just calling them our, our all terrains. Like, Oh, I'm going to put on the all terrains now. Yeah. Um, Cause they were legit. Like we just, yeah, it, it just made it so much easier to navigate that country. Um, and I could, you could never imagine in Idaho hiking a river bottom for 15 miles to get out, but that's mm-hmm. like, that's hands down your best option up there. Yeah, man, that's freaking wild. I, yeah, we'll put up a picture cause some of the stuff you sent me, like showing it where you're, yeah, you're not just crossing, like you're clearly packing out, just going down the stream. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool i'll i'll uh i'll throw some photos on instagram today yeah. on my personal page my my once a year post so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think this will be number two. Oh man i think going rogue here yeah i know um other thing, boots uh i ended up going with those um you know i was like um i brought uh I, you know, I got the zamberlands uh that i talked about and i got those loa inox um I ended up going with the Inox uh, and loved, absolutely loved them. I was the only guy with no blisters the whole trip. Um, Isn't that why I wore when we hiked into that hot spring? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I loved them. They were they were fantastic, man. They 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 did their job. That um, Dwayne and Tyler were both wearing, um, you know, I think Dwayne was a uh, Kinetrex and Tyler was testing out some Hanvogs. Um, Tyler really loved them. He did. He just got blisters on that that caribou pack out I talked about where we helped out. It was pretty nasty and it was like just right out of like you know first day in there, jump out of the plane, throw a pack on, start freaking hiking. It was hot and a, a pretty rough like rough terrain getting in there. And he got some blisters just right off the right off the get go and basically was fighting them the rest of the trip. Mm. Um, the after once they kind of settled down, he was he was loving the shoes though. But um, I was the only one total that never had any blisters, never had any issues in my feet. Um, I had thrown in a whole roll of Luco tape, uh, and between Tyler and Dwayne, they pretty much chewed up that whole thing and and I never had to use any of it, but I'm glad I brought it for them. So, um, yeah, I I loved it. They were waterproofness. Uh, they were, they were waterproof for the first three, four days. Um, and then started noticing the left boot leaking on me a little bit. So, um, but it was kind of a, because they're lightweight and synthetic, I could almost keep them dry by just rotating dry socks through. So whenever I'd get a chance, I'd pull the boots off. I'd pull the insoles out to help them kind of dry out and then just put dry socks on, put my feet back in. Uh, and there was just like, I think the moisture can kind of push out of that, of the Gore-Tex into the synthetic fabric and dry out quicker that it wasn't that big of a deal. If it was in, but we had good weather. I'll say that for sure. Yeah. If it was, you know, if it was uh, 15 to 30 degrees, having slightly damp feet would not be comfortable, but we were, 30 to to 60 degrees you know it's pretty warm and hot some days so mm-hmm. um but and then those guys definitely had an advantage going down the shale right like a big stiff boot that you could just freaking plant like a ski boot into that and ski down um uh they could definitely move down those faster than i could but uh, other than that man i really like it i 
you know, I wanted one of the things I love about a more soft, flexible boot is, um, they're just more athletic. Right. Um, and you're just, there was boulder fields that you'd walk through that, I mean, like two, three foot boulders, um, and, and that soft, flexible boot, you can like plant on an uneven surface and, and then it kind of flex and mold to that where a stiffer boot, you know, if you miss that one little spot, um, then, then you're not getting any traction and the boot just slides off. So I definitely felt like I was definitely lit. You're less clumsy in a soft, flexible boot navigating through that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciated that. And, uh, yeah, I was beyond happy with them. It's definitely going to be like my go-to boot now, um, for, for the future, uh, for this year anyways, just I'll keep looking around and playing with stuff. But man, I was really happy with that choice. So. Yeah. And they didn't get, they're relatively durable for, you know, that's oh, asking yeah. a lot of that type of boot Everyone for that country. Was, we were the last night we just, uh, second to last night, we just done that 21 mile day and we're sitting on this peak and, and Dwayne and Tyler were like looking at their boots and their rubber rands were like scratched and looked beat up. And then they like, Tyler looked at mine. He's like, I can't believe your boots are like holding up, man. Uh, mine don't have anywhere at all. It didn't make any sense to me. I, really? that was my one thing that I was going to be super nervous about was just like the rocks cutting into them and cutting into the fabric. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think because they're softer, right? Like it's not a hard surface against a hard rock. It's a more soft surface, um, uh, against a rock. So it's got some give to it. So when you do hit something, it's not just like, you know, concrete on concrete, right? It's, yeah. uh, the, the downside is you could like stub the crap out of your toe or something if you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely like, you know, with a softer boot, you got to be more careful of your foot placement and you can't just kind of, uh, fumble your way through stuff. You got to be, uh, definitely paying attention. So, so what would you, what do you like better about running those compared to like an X ultra that you've done so much? Like, cause I know you've been, uh, you've no, been looking not, for something yeah, more um, suitable for October, call it than X ultra, right. but is the NX really like enough for that? No, probably not. Like, yeah. yeah. I still think, I mean, you're talking, I still need to find a solution for hunting in a foot of snow. You know, when you come out for elk season, you're mid October. And, uh, if there's, you know, six inches a foot of snow on the ground, I wouldn't want that option. Like, I think that's when you need a legit, like leather boots. Uh, I think those just have a much more prone to staying dry, uh, on the inside than, than the synthetics, even though the Gore-Tex is the same. So, uh, yeah. One thing that was fun about that country and that, you know, when I say it's like yes and no, harder, easier to hunt than down here, um, was getting down the mountain was so easy most of the time when you would just, you'd climb up the ridges and then just shoot down the little avalanche shoots in the shale. Um, and, uh, you could be, we legit, like there was, uh, it was my second day of hunting. So two days after Tyler killed his ram, um, we had spotted the, the one that I talked about sliding down the chute to go get. And got within 200 yards, not legal, climbed back out of there, got on top of the peak and literally 3,500 feet down, 3,000 feet up the other side, there's a band of five, six rams. Um, and one of them looked close and, you know, I'm looking at that going, I think it's like seven o'clock at night, right? And it's light till 11, uh, 10 30, 11. It's like, there's no way we can get over there. Um, didn't take into account, like you could legit drop that 3,500 feet in 30 to 40 minutes. Like you just jump in those shoots and just freaking <laughs> ski off the mountain, man. Like we got down to the bottom fast. Like I, I yeah. didn't track, but it, it was under 40 minutes that you just dropped 3,500 feet. I mean, wow. just cruising. Uh, that was a nice, like, 
you know, that's I me and I know a lot of other people would talk about or during a death like like everyone prefers to climb versus downhill. Like yeah. climb is physical, downhill hurts. Um, you know, hurts the knees, hurts the joints. And so having to be able to ski down that stuff was like this wonderful blessing of uh, and you just get through that country quick. So we ended up getting to the bottom, got the scope on that sheep and it, and it wasn't legal. So we didn't end up climbing up the other side. But um, yeah, it was, it was a cool. You can definitely move through that stuff pretty easily. Yeah. So you mentioned glass and sheep hit on optics because I know obviously, and especially for your situation, you were within shooting range of sheep a bunch of times. And it's like those close calls of either looking at full curl, potentially trying to count age rings, which isn't the great way to go. But obviously optics are going to be critical for that. Yeah, I made the mistake. Um, I, I basically had a my Koa 55 and my and a Koa 88 that I uh, borrowed from the from the SNS archery store. Uh, <laughs> the, the night before, like literally that night before, I'm like debating which one, which one. And I had hooked the phone scope up to my 55, and was really, really impressed with with the quality of video I could shoot through that. And I was like, you know what, this is this is gonna work out just fine. Um, and uh, I'll just you know be able to like put the phone scope on them, get video, zoom in on the video, um, in practice, getting out there in the field, dealing with heat waves and atmos- atmospheric conditions. Um, and one thing I underestimated was just how far you can glass. I mean, there's, you know, it, all the time, basically there's four white dots and they're two, three miles away. You know, you just pick them up with your binos and um, you need to get the glass on them to, to get a better look at it, to see if you could see kind of mass to the, to the horns there, if, see if it's a, a ram that you think may or may not be legal. Um, and so, yeah, I really regretted packing the 55 and not taking the 88. So our, our guide had a 65 Swaro. Um, it got the job done. I think a, an 88 or a 77, um, you know, 20 to 60 would just be a, you know, fantastic. And it's, it's one of those scenarios where it's definitely worth packing the weight to save the effort, right? Like you can mm. zoom in on that animal that's two miles away and go, nope, not legal versus like, eh, you might be close. Let's go check out further. So I think that you definitely going to the end energy expenditure packing the extra weight the whole time versus those few times you're going to have to like go get closer to the ram because you can't really tell. Um, I think you're, you're better off just throwing that big scope in. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and, um, hindsight, like I think a really, I, I, so I did get to take the, uh, the, the brand new Swarovski in all pures with me. Um, they only had, uh, some eight by 42s. Um, per, I think I would have preferred to take tens, but honestly they were fantastic. Um, I didn't really have any expectations for the glass. Um, other than this, I'll take them up, use them, test them, get some photos, um, you know, at least have some honest feedback for some guys of whether or not I think they're, they're better than, than, uh, the ELs or SLCs or anything like that. And, um, was freaking blown away by them. Um, but that super, like it was a perfect combination. If I had had a big spotter having that nice wide field of view, eight by 42, uh, you know, see white dots then, and then just having quick, easy access to your spotting scope. Cause you just pull a spotter out real quick, zoom in on it. So, um, it was kind of fun. Like I don't, love um it was fun hunting white animals <laughs> i don't love like mule deer hunting where you gotta like have your eyes bleeding picking apart the <laughs> hillside a little piece of antler sticking out behind a, a piece of brush um 
it was nice because you just, you just throw the binos up. Ah, there's a white dot. Pull out a spotter, look at it. Uh, no, that's a rock. No, that's a sheep. Uh, no, that's a sublegal ram. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's a you and a lamb. Um, so yeah, it was uh, like it, to me that'd be the perfect setup. Like a nice light pair of eight by forty twos. Even like my go to elk binos are eight by thirty two els. Those would be perfect for up there. Um, they're super light. Throw them up, see the dot throw on the spotter um zoom in check it out you know it'd be a killer combination so yeah uh, yeah and but uh on the on the pures total sales pitch i mean it it no no joke like halfway through the trip we started realizing that like i was identifying stuff way faster and easier than everybody else because there's white rocks everywhere right so um you're just looking up there and somebody like ah that looks like a sheep and then I'd be like, no rock, no rock. And it, it took a couple of days to us to figure out that like that the binos are just clear, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, and then, yeah, so Tyler was absolutely in love with them. Uh, yeah, Tyler had some, he had some older ELs. The guide had some pretty new, uh, like uh, range finding binos. Was, you know, they got some great glass in them, but it was consistently, um, if we were looking at the same object and deciding if it's a sheep or not, I could tell it was, uh, was or wasn't, uh, before they ever could. Um, it was pretty, pretty impressive for sure. So, so you just had the extra edge and like call it clarity resolution to pick up just parts a of detail. Little, tiny bump up in, in clarity, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause I could just decipher a rock from a sheep, uh, just easier, you know, uh, and there, there's definitely times when it's like, eh, I really can't tell. We do need to pull out the spotter, but it, it legit halfway through the trip was, Hey Steve, see that white rock up there? See that white thing up there? What is that? And they're like, ah, it's rock. Oh no, that is sheep. Let's pull the spotter out. You know, um, yeah. There, there was one time we were way up high, and there was this. Um, uh, we were looking down at an airstrip down there, like two miles away, and on the edge of the airstrip, there was this funny shaped object. Uh, and I was like, that's a freaking tent down there. And uh, the other guys were like, no, it's freaking rock. It's just a rock with an orange thing on top of it. And I'm like, no, that's a freaking tent. And sure enough, pull up the spotter and. Oh crap! It is a tent. Like everyone couldn't believe that uh, I could tell that difference because it was a long ways away. Yeah. Um, but I could just see there's just enough clarity resolution bump in there that I could tell it was. So yeah, definitely highly impressed with them. They're thirty four hundred dollar binoculars, so, so <laughs> better work. That's uh, kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but if someone's in that price range, uh, I I think they're from what I know of all the glass I've looked through, they're hands down the the best binoculars I've ever um, put my eyes through. Yeah, it's fun to hear the nuance, like whether it's optics or the other gear stuff from this trip, because it's obviously folks, if they've been tuning into the podcast, have heard us talk gear and you'll see a lot of like recurring themes, right? Whether it's we're talking about clothing, shelter, optics, what have you. There's a lot of commonality in what we might talk about or suggest using, but then you take a trip like this with a different context and some of that changes. And I just think it's always important to keep that in mind, whether it's for us or, you know, for you guys listening of you know, don't, don't get stuck in a rut. Like, yes, what you said, Steve, 95% of this gear list for the sheep hunt could apply to, as you said, like an October rifle hunt in Idaho, but it's that 5%. It is those differences that's going to not make or break the hunt necessarily, possibly, uh, but could definitely change things, whether it's comfort, performance, or what have you. So like reassessing what you're comfortable with is a good thing, right? No, it's, um, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the, to me, those you know, it's fun to get nitty gritty on gear at the end of the day though. Um, well, we're, we're getting gear dialed makes a huge difference to me is in 
in your attitude, um, right? Just like when you got stuff dialed and it's working great for you and you're not fighting it, it's, it's way easier to keep a positive attitude out there. Um, and that is going to pay the dividends and actually being successful at the end of your hunt. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, versus if you got, if you're wet and you're cold, it's, it's hard to like keep positive and keep after it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're dry and you're warm and it's just physical, uh, that's way easier to get your mindset right. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, stay out there longer and be successful. So one that, that, uh, we're going to have to get. So Tyler has his friend, Dave, that lives up uh, in Anchorage. We stayed at his house one night, uh, coming in and one night coming out. Um, and he's a retired Marine Colonel, uh, fighter pilot, just absolutely like, coolest dude ever. And I got, we're going to get him on the podcast one of these times. Cause uh, some of the stories he's got is, you know, just incredible stuff. So, uh, pretty cool dude, sheep hunter, um, big mountain climber, you know, guy is like does Denali and, and, you know, big peaks all over the world. And he's got some pretty interesting, um, gear stuff and things that he does that kind of translates from that. He takes over from, from climbing world into the hunting world. Um, some stuff I like, Oh, that's crazy. Uh, like they, he wears these, they're like plastic boots, um, with these liners. Um, it's basically like, it almost looks like the shell of a ski boot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember the name of them. And then it's got basically this liner that you mold to your feet that you slide in there. Um, and he's got a system down. That's like pretty awesome for crossing creeks and staying dry and using that. But I just can't imagine, uh, hiking that many miles and essentially like a ski boot shell. Like it would be, uh, he, he kind of said like, you don't, uh, you don't break the boot into your feet. You break your feet into the boot. (laughs) Oh, that that sounds painful. Uh, but you know, he, obviously this guy's got a lot of experience and knows what he's doing and knows what he's talking about. So some stuff to glean from, from different viewpoints for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get Tyler back when he gets back from Alaska and he'll not only be able to share some stories for the sheep hunt, but the other adventures he's doing now, but man, it was fun to, fun to catch up, hear the gear and all that. So if you guys have questions, um, follow up to this, obviously we're going to be talking about the hunt more. Um, so if there's a specific question, just reach out, shoot us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com and we'll get that answered for you guys next time. But any other takeaways, Steve, or that's a good place to wrap it? Uh, yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it, man. Um, I'll definitely, I will, I'm going to do a post follow up, um, uh, video of the, of all like the gear that worked or didn't work and basically kind of talk about what we did here today. Mm. Um, things I, things I liked and things I do differently. Um, kind of a nice perspective after the hunt is over. So yeah. I'll get that done here, um, this week or next and post that up. So sweet. Since I couldn't get the prior one done. You owe it to the people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.